The Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to the crowd, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Gospel of our Savior. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Our readings this morning are filled with probably the most important and least understood feature for us in the West, the least understood feature of Jewish scripture, and that is irony. Irony is at the very basis, you might say, of the ancient sense of humor that we find in the Bible. And Jesus and Zechariah both leverage it today, probably to grab the attention of their audience, but also to disclose something fundamental about how our God acts and works in our lives and in the world. And just as importantly, the type of life that Jesus calls each of us to if we will have ears, as he says, to hear. Zechariah was a prophet who stood at the other end of the Babylonian exile. You remember we've been hearing from Jeremiah who stood at the beginning the past couple of weeks. This week we turn to Zechariah 
who is a prophetic voice as the people return to Jerusalem and begin to think about rebuilding their culture, their lives, their homeland, and what that is going to be like. And as part of the restoration of all the customs and traditions and the beginning of conversation about rebuilding the temple, Zechariah invites them to dream big. Now, Zechariah is a true patriot, you might say, on this 4th of July weekend. He loves his country, he loves his people, he loves his heritage, and he is talking about the restoration of the Davidic dynasty when he makes reference to the Messiah. We in the Christian faith make a lot of hay out of this because, of course, we look at Zechariah and we say he is predicting the coming of Jesus. But in his own day, Zechariah was thinking about restoring the ancient legendary David. You could sort of think about a parallel in our own time if someone stood up and said, let's go back to the Knights of the Round Table and the ancient kingdom of Camelot and King Arthur. Some of you will remember a time when in fact that's what, exactly what was going on in politics in this country. That restoration is critical for the people to restore a sense of their dignity and their pride in their own power. But then Zechariah throws in an ironic twist the vision that he holds is not the vision of a great warrior coming in on a mighty horse, which is an image that everyone would have easily understood. Zechariah's vision is not of a mighty conqueror riding into Jerusalem and taking it back, but of a Messiah who rides with humility on a donkey. Zechariah, in fact, leverages the Hebrew poetry and says on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey, he says it twice to really get everyone's attention that this is something about humility. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that instead of war horses and marching armies, the Messiah will come to bring peace. It's a twist on the old logic of power with which we are all familiar and with which Zechariah's audience being restored to their homeland was quite familiar. After all, they had been subject to the power of the Babylonians for four generations. They knew what it was like to be under the heel of the oppressor and to be uncertain of where things would go from here. And it would have been tempting for them as it is always tempting for an oppressed people to vie for power and snatch the weapons of war and take up the arms of vengeance. But Zechariah's vision of a new kingdom, a messianic kingdom, is of a kingdom of peace, of graciousness, and perhaps we could say of true justice.
Jesus himself, of course, will take up this image in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem when he rides in on a donkey. And that image will be taken up by Matthew and the other gospel writers as a key fulfilling of this prophecy of Zechariah's. A reminder that our God is a God of irony. This God that we call almighty and a God of power actually subverts all the forms of power that we understand and offers us something new. Jesus, in today's gospel reading, has a kvetch, if you know the old Yiddish. You can almost hear him channeling his Jewish mother, basically saying, I can't win for losing here. He says that when John came leading an ascetic life, John the Baptist, people said he had a demon. And then when Jesus comes along and offers meal fellowship to sinners and to his disciples, he's accused of being a, glut, a glutton and a drunkard. That's not just a passing thought. It is a very pointed reference to one of the prohibitions in the Torah about what to watch out for in wayward sons, disobedient children. Glutton and drunkards are condemned in the ancient tradition. And so it's not just an insult or a criticism, it's a condemnation. Condemnation, in fact, that can lead to death. Jesus reminds his followers that the people who are wielding power in his context will not relinquish power. And so they will make sure that whether it's John the Baptist or Jesus, that he will be on the losing side. Then the ironic twist really comes when Jesus says, I am grateful to you, Father. This revelation has not come to the powerful and the people who are in authority, but to the people who are out of power, people who are even illiterate, people who have not invested the time and the learning and the money and the resources and all their material wealth in vying for power, but people who have approached the kingdom with humility, like a child. And then he goes on to that beautiful phrase, come to me all you that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you. Maybe Jesus is talking about the yokes that you might put on animals of labor so you can plow the field or pull the cart. The yokes are there, of course, to transfer the strength of the animal into whatever you're pulling behind you, something very heavy. 
maybe you yourself. Or maybe Jesus is thinking about the yokes that he might have seen women carry to go down to the wells to pull up buckets of water to take back to their families. Those heavy yokes. Or maybe Jesus is simply talking about the yokes that the slaves carry in his time and in times many centuries later the yokes that weigh down the heads and the necks and the shoulders of people for generations, the yoke of oppression. The thing is, it doesn't really matter, does it? Jesus is saying he offers a different kind of yoke to his followers. Now, sometimes, Yokes are important so we can carry heavier loads than we could otherwise carry. And even today in parts of the world, when you have to go fetch water, you want to use a yoke. Because it's very painful to carry big buckets of water in your hands over long distances, and a yoke just makes it all easier. But the other thing about yokes is that when you take two animals and you put a yoke between them, they will continue to walk side by side. And when two people pick up a yoke together, it makes the job a lot easier. In that sense, Jesus is reminding us that the yokes that we each carry, our burdens, are something that he comes alongside us and helps us bear. Or you could say he offers us a different kind of yoke altogether. We are the ones who often spend a great deal of time trying to work out our yokes of power. Power over others, power over our bank accounts, our material possessions, power over our own lives, if not the lives of others. And that yoke is heavy. It's often lopsided. And sometimes it's a yoke that somebody else, it seems, has control over. Jesus is offering us an alternative. He says, put down that yoke and take up the yoke that I offer you. A yoke not of power, but of love where you could say we are yoked together to make the burden easier, to make it easier for us to follow the right path together. A yoke that Jesus himself helps us bear. A yoke that brings life and light to a world in need of healing. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread 
and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.